0: From WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Patrick Madden. On the show today, what it takes to be a rodeo queen. We'll speak with Sydney Albritton, who represented Louisiana in this year's Miss Rodeo America. And American Roots speaks with jazz saxophonist Donald Harrison, coming up later in the show. But first... New Orleans is once again gearing up to overhaul its laws governing short-term rentals, like those listed on platforms such as Airbnb. And City Hall is under a fast-approaching deadline to pass new rules set by a federal court. Earlier this morning, I spoke with WWNO's New Orleans reporter Carly Berlin to look at what changes might be in store for the city's short-term rental industry. Well, first of all, Carly, uh, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, Carly, a few years ago, New Orleans passed a whole set of short-term rental laws. Why exactly are we doing this again? So
1: it's all because of a lawsuit. And to understand this, we have to go back to 2019 for a minute. The city passed regulations for short-term rentals that year. And one of the key pieces of the law was a residency requirement. It basically said, if you want to have a short-term rental listed on a site like Airbnb in a residentially zoned neighborhood, you had to prove that you lived on site. And the idea there was to limit what a lot of people, including city council at the time, saw as one of the most harmful impacts of short-term rentals, out-of-town investors buying up whole homes across the city and renting them out to tourists. But just a couple months after that law was passed a group of STR owners filed a lawsuit against the city challenging those new rules. And this past August, a federal court, the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is widely recognized as being particularly conservative, decided that the city's STR residency requirement was unconstitutional, basically saying that it it discriminated against, quote-unquote, interstate commerce. And I should say, you know, this kind of residency requirement, it's actually a pretty common way that other American cities have looked to rein in short-term rentals. But now New Orleans can't use it anymore. So it's basically sent City Hall scrambling to figure out a new law, one that can't revolve around this residency requirement piece And the federal court also set a pretty tight deadline. So now the city has to pass a new law by the end of March.
0: So Carly, if the residency requirement is off the table, what other options uh, is the city looking at right now?
1: Yeah, so the city council has put forth kind of a laundry list of other options at this point, and there's a wide range. So on one end of things, they're looking at potentially capping the number of short-term rentals that can exist on any given block face or in a census tract. They're also considering, you know, potentially banning them in certain zoning districts or even saying that, you know, they're actually fundamentally a commercial use And should only be allowed in commercially zoned areas like the central business district.
0: And you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. We're speaking with New Orleans reporter Carly Berlin about the latest uh, efforts to regulate the short-term rental industry here in New Orleans. Carly, do you have a sense of how New Orleans residents feel about these potential changes?
1: Yeah, so short-term rental owners have come out kind of in mass at public meetings over the last couple months. And they basically say, you know, they've been playing by the city's rules since 2019 and they want a way to continue legally operating their short-term rentals in residential areas. Earlier this week, I spoke to Rebecca Justice, who's a vacation rental property manager for a group called Rare Space Hospitality, and she said of the options put forth so far, she likes one that would require that STR owners in residential areas be a quote-unquote natural person, which means basically they need to own the building in their own name rather than through a business entity like an LLC, and that would, you know, differentiate between residents and and corporations potentially. Um, but I also talked to affordable housing advocates who really hope to see the city pass tighter restrictions than we currently have on the books. So I spoke to Maxwell Ciardulo from the Louisiana Fair Housing Action Center, and he said STRs shouldn't be allowed in residential areas at all, and they should be just confined to the CBD and the commercial parts of the French Quarter where, you know, lots of tourists are already going to spend their time anyway. He said, you know, that reasoning is because STRs have ramped up displacement of long-term residents as more housing has been converted over from long-term to short-term tourist use, particularly in historically Black neighborhoods adjacent to downtown like the Treme. And he also said that STRs should be leveraged to subsidize hmm. affordable housing.
0: Interesting. Uh, Carly, uh, so, so what comes next here?
1: So next week, on Wednesday the 18th, the City Planning Commission is slated to release a preliminary report with their recommendations for an updated short-term rental law. So before that, folks can submit public comment uh, until 5 p.m. on Tuesday the 17th. You can email cpcinfo at nola.gov. Then after that report comes out, the Planning Commission will hold a public meeting about it on January 24th. And after that, their recommendations will go over to the city council for consideration. And like I said, they have to pass a new law by March 31st.
0: Well, tight deadline, which is what we like here in journalism. We'll uh, keep following this story. Uh, Carly Berlin, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Patrick.
0: We're listening to Louisiana Considered on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. This Saturday, New Orleans will host the 2023 Miss Universe Pageant, where representatives from 165 countries will take to the runway to compete for the crown. But last month in Las Vegas, a different kind of pageant just wrapped up, one where the runway is replaced by a stable and the crown replaced by a cowgirl hat. That's right. We're talking about Miss Rodeo America, where Louisiana's own rodeo queen came in fourth runner-up. Louisiana considered Alana Schreiber spoke with Miss Rodeo Louisiana 2022, Sydney Allbritton, about her recent competition in Vegas and what it means to be a rodeo queen.
2: Sydney, I know that a very big part of being a rodeo queen involves riding horses, so tell me a little bit about how you grew up and when you started riding.
3: Absolutely. So I am what they call a first generation cowgirl. So that means I didn't come from a rodeo family. I actually had to break out into the rodeo world on my own. However, I did come from an agricultural background. So I'm the fifth generation to reside on my family's farm in Downsville, Louisiana, but we just didn't have any horses, is the difference. Now I started riding lessons when I was around eight years old because from the time that I think I could even speak, I was begging my parents for a horse, but order. In order to kind of quench that uh, desire, if you will, my parents decided to sign me up for riding lessons, and that continued on until I was 17 years old, uh, because my parents thought that one day I would just give it up, and I would stop asking for a horse, but I didn't, and at 17, they finally gave in, and I got a horse of my own, and now I had five horses at one time, but now I'm back down to three, because uh, Miss Rodeo, Louisiana, you know, it's a little bit time-consuming, and of course, you want to give the horses the best life possible.
2: And then how did you transition from horseback rider to competing in rodeo pageants? How was that different or challenging?
3: So funny enough, I don't have a pageant background at all whatsoever outside of rodeo cleaning. I did some of the younger kid pageants when your mom still brings you up on stage and they have you in the really frilly outfits. However, uh, once it got to the time where I was able to speak on my own on the microphone, I made it very clear to my mother that I wanted no part in that that I did not want to speak to in front of a crowd however it's funny how time changes things but I always loved horses and rodeo has always been my first love and I first started out barrel racing which is one of the seven standard events in rodeo it's uh right now or formerly, it was women's only event in rodeo however we do have another event that is up and coming which is the breakaway roping so it's really exciting to see more opportunities for women in rodeo but I was a barrel racer, and I just decided that I wanted to try something new, so I did a lot of flag teams or drill teams, which you may have seen them at the rodeos before. They'll usually carry sponsor flags or maybe an American flag or an assortment of flags, and I enjoyed that thoroughly. However, after a couple of years, um, a lot of the girls on my team, life goes on, they got married, had kids, and... I was really just looking for my next venture, and I was at the CrossFit Arkansas PRCA Rodeo, which was one of the places where I carried flags as a pivot girl. Now, while we were doing that serpentine in the grand entry, they would have the current Rodeo Queen, along with the Rodeo Queen contestants, make a lap through the arena, and I saw the contestants riding by, and the current CrossFit Arkansas Queen, and I thought, You know I really think that that's something that I could do and so the next year I researched it found out what I needed to do to enter the competition and that went on to be my first title
2: that is extremely impressive you just decided hey maybe I'll give this a try and then you win that's amazing well can you tell us a little bit about that competition for Miss Rodeo Louisiana what are the different elements of that competition what do you have to do
3: So I like to compare Rodeo Queen pageants. They're very similar to what I call normal girl pageants, which would be something like Miss America or Miss USA. And we do extemporaneous speaking. So we have 10 minutes to prepare a minute and a half speech. We'll also do interviews, which at Miss Rodeo Louisiana, we only do one interview. However, at Miss Rodeo America, we did two different interviews, which one is a personality interview, which is just focused on you or maybe current events and how you your opinion on those. And the other would be a horsemanship interview, which is solely technical questions based around rodeo and horsemanship knowledge. That could be anything from vet questions to a specific rodeo question. And we also have what I like to call our our talent of the pageant. So we don't do a talent in the sense of going up there and singing or dancing or playing an instrument, which I actually do play the violin. So I think maybe if I wanted to get into regular pageants, I might be able to, but uh, we do what horsemanship. So we get on an unfamiliar horse. We call them draw horses because if you've ever heard the saying, the luck of the draw, we do actually have a draw. We had 15 different horses at Miss Rodeo America along with 28 different contestants and each girl drew a different horse. We each got two horses for two rounds and they both had different criteria. However, the main point was that We did not get the opportunity to ride these horses before going into the arena. So we had a preset, predetermined pattern. And once we entered the arena, that was our first time to ever ride that horse in front of everybody. So it can be a little bit nerve wracking if you let it get to you. But I think that was the advantage of being a first generation cowgirl is that I didn't have the same horse to ride growing up consistently. And a lot of times at the lesson barn, the horse that I rode there last week may not be there the next week. So I was actually very comfortable and familiar with what we call jump riding horses or just getting on an unfamiliar horse and just going with it. We
2: are speaking with Miss Rodeo Louisiana 2022, Sydney Albritton. Sydney, I think a lot of people have misconceptions about pageants. They think they're just about beauty and poise, but I remember attending the Miss Rodeo Colorado pageant a couple years ago, and and I was just amazed at how athletic it was. I mean, you guys are real cowgirls you're athletes so what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions and how do you think that that rodeo pageants really defy that
3: you know it's funny enough that you mentioned the Miss Rodeo Colorado pageant because the best or I would like to say my best friend walking out of the Miss Rodeo America pageant who also happened to be my roommate and the person that spent six weeks traveling on the road with this summer was Miss Rodeo Colorado 2022, Ashley Baller.
2: I know Ashley Baller. Wow, what a coincidence.
3: (laughs) That's so funny. Yes, we're really good friends. We talk every day. I've always heard the saying that, I guess this can kind of go back to some of the negative or misconceptions that there are about pageantry in general, is I've always heard that if you walk out of your state queen year as a rodeo queen, if you don't walk out of it with at least a few bridesmaids, you did something wrong. And I can confidently say that I have at least a few girls that are by far some of the best friends that I've ever had. I mean, it makes it a little bit easier when we have a lot of common interests and we both share that love for rodeo and, you know, a little bit of the pageantry. It is kind of fun to get ready for three hours in the morning together. You got to have somebody to go there or go through it with you together. Um, but also, I would like to say that me personally growing up, I suffered with a lot of social anxiety and I'm. Eight-year-old me thinking of what I'm doing now, I would have thought that that was impossible. I genuinely did not think that I even would have been capable of doing something that I am right now. And so I think pageantry really helps girls develop into their best selves. And I always like to say that confidence is key, but you really have to learn how to channel that inner confidence. I think that pageantry can really bring that out in a lot of girls. I mean, personally, just speaking from personal experience, I know that it's done a complete 180 on me from the time that I've started.
2: Yeah, it's not just about being confident. It's about finding ways to channel and express that confidence. Well, most recently, you traveled to Las Vegas to compete in Miss Rodeo America, as you mentioned, but you also placed winning the title of fourth runner-up. Can you just really tell us like how big of a deal that is and what that competition was like for you?
3: Yes, yeah, so it has actually been over 35 years, at least that we're aware of, since a Miss Radio Louisiana has placed in the top five, which that would actually be Miss Radio Louisiana 1986, which went on to be Miss Radio America 1987. Even though I didn't win the title, Miss Rodeo America, getting into the top five is what my national director, Judy Gill, she says she likes to say that we broke that wall back down. When I first started looking at running for a state queen title, I always had the goal of, I really just wanted to show people how competitive Louisiana can be. I heard a lot of misconceptions on the road this year um, from places out in Wyoming or South Dakota, or, you know, I like to call them just out west in the mountains is kind of what I think of all those places as, because it's completely opposite from Louisiana. And I mean, there were people that didn't even know that we had rodeos in Louisiana at all, much less. PRCA World Champions. I mean, we have a very rich, diverse rodeo history and Western heritage in Louisiana. And I really wanted to showcase that in our own special way. And I really tried to stick true to the roots of being a true Louisianan and every aspect as far as my clothing. Um, I mean, even my fashion show dress was a full blown Mardi Gras dress. I told the designer, I said, hey, I want you to make me look like a Mardi Gras float. And boy, did she, because I know that the message came across clearly whenever I got emails the next day of people just saying, oh my gosh, I loved your Mardi Gras dress. But they were able to notice like, hey, we're here from Louisiana, we're proud. And to still go and do that and make top five, that was just, I mean, it was amazing to me. It was a dream come true, honestly.
2: Yeah, I mean, what an incredible way to say like, hey, we are rodeo queens here, we ride horses, we have this Western cultural influence, but we're also Louisianans. And have you heard of Mardi Gras? <laughs> this has been Miss Rodeo Louisiana 2022, Sydney and Sydney, thank you so much for being here.
3: <laughs> thank you.
0: And you're listening to Louisiana Consider here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. Each week, American Roots brings you shortcuts, a sneak peek at the upcoming show. This week, the show comes from Maroney Studios with jazz saxophonist Donald Harrison, who spoke to host Nick Spitzer about growing up in New Orleans and putting his own stamp on modern jazz.
4: Well, I realized in high school, two things happened. One, I read that Charlie Parker's quote If you didn't live it, it won't come out of your horn. Mm. And it had a profound effect on me. And I realized that since I came from New Orleans and all of the generations who uh, innovated jazz were still alive, I made the mission to go live playing with every generation of jazz masters to be good enough to play with them. In some kind of way, I was fortunate and got some luck, and and I was able to play with all of those generations. And then I started hearing that everything is connected and the connections between all the music.
5: Well, your family is is special in the city. I mean, I've heard the stories of your mom and dad and playing records and talking it all over and the power and importance of raising your consciousness. Say a little bit about your mom and dad.
4: One thing is that we listen to all types of music at home. And uh, I never felt the need to uh, not like a kind of a style of music, you know, we listen. To music, the UNESCO series of African music, Ravi Shankar and Indian music, musicals, everything, every era of jazz, Mr. Big stuff, Heather <laughs> <laughs> James, yeah. Charlie Pride, everybody, you know. Did you was, say Charlie Pride or Charlie Parker? Charlie Parker and Charlie Pride <laughs> <laughs> and, <Okay. laughs> and and, uh, and uh, Maceo Parker the part I called. Oh yeah, I told him. Uh, Maceo, I call him and Charlie Parker the Parker brothers, <laughs> and he's a, uh, you know, he's a father of, one of the fathers of funk saxophone. Oh, just, and just Yeah, he's he's a force of nature. Yeah, as as Charlie Parker was, and he's my hero.
5: Yeah, quite a family there. I mean, you all you all have uh, been able to cut many paths and you've helped New Orleanians of all kinds raise their consciousness and their way of thinking about their humanity and how how different we are and how connected we are at the same time. It's an amazing service the Harrisons have provided (laughs) us.
4: You know, it's just uh, you just get up and do your best. I I always say my motto was. uh, do my best and get out of the way <laughs> so you know if you get up every day and you and you did your best and that's all yeah. you can ask of yourself and anybody else can ask of you yeah. and these gentlemen uh, they're well, a testament to hard work uh, my family look at my two nephew three nephews and my daughter they're all hard workers and mm. you can see the uh my nephew plays trumpet he christian scotty he, he also started in this band amazing christian scott a yeah, uh, yeah. lot of a lot of young guys and and, and we still we're still like a family. We got a gigantic family now. Well, with, uh, big family.
5: Th- three of the folks you got here, and then younger generation are, are your students. I mean, in the same sense, you learned from your mom and dad, and Art Blakey, and all the different people you went out in the world with. They've learned from you. Yeah, we learn from each other because yeah. they
4: know they know a lot of stuff. So sometimes I'm asking them questions. Did you hear this? And they say yeah. And they, they play it for me and show me how. We, and we put things together. So I'm passing down what I learned from the old masters, and they're teaching me the stuff that the young people are doing. So it, it's a simpatico. Yeah. That.
5: Yeah. Well, speaking of, I'm not going to say speaking of old masters, but uh, maybe not a student necessarily. you got Detroit Brooks down here.
4: If you're around down, you're a student because you're always learning. He's always giving out information. Yeah. You know, he's uh the uh, Blake of New Orleans. Oh, you know.
5: but I mean, it's interesting to me that you know you're an explorer too. You you grew up with trad, I'm assuming, but you were out here playing uh, with the uh, the complete Harrison rainbow of sound.
4: Yeah. yeah, well, I was blessed because I grew up gospel, basically, okay. from a gospel background, and I got to meet Donald through Willie T. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this has been a blessing in my life.
5: Donald, what what do we got coming up here? Uh,
4: Well, we were talking about Charlie Parker, and this is a song I wrote for him. It's called One for Bird. The original title was Christopher Jr., but many people didn't know that his middle name was Christopher, and then he had a suffix, Jr., Uh so I said, let's call it One for
5: Bird. They'll get it then. Yeah, Bird. Everybody knows Bird. You
4: ready? One, two, one.
5: For American Roots Shortcuts, I'm Nick Spitzer. To hear more, join me Saturdays at 5 and Sundays at 6
0: on WWNO or listen at AmericanRoots.org. And you can listen to American Roots on WRKF Saturdays at 7 p.m. And that's going to wrap up our show. We want to thank our guests, Carly Berlin, Alana Schreiber, Sydney Albritton, plus the great segment previewing this weekend's American Roots Today's episode of Louisiana Considered was hosted by Patrick Madden. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber. Our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman and Aubrey Purcell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's also available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And Louisiana Considered wants to hear from you. Please fill out our pitch line to let us know what kinds of story ideas you have for the show. And while you're at it, you can fill out our listener survey. We want to keep bringing you the kinds of conversations that you would like to listen to. Louisiana Considered is made possible with support from our listeners. And we'll be back on Monday with Karen Henderson hosting. You can always stay up to date with all the news and information by tuning in to WWNO and WRKF, or you can go to our websites for news from our newsroom, as well as NPR and other outlets. And you can also find previous episodes of Louisiana Considered and stream them by going to our websites at wwno.org and wrkf.org. And again, you can find them as a podcast. Everyone have a great weekend and we'll be back on Monday. Thank you. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience. More at rouses.com with additional support from the Sazerac House.